This is The Guardian. Today, what do you do about a much bigger bully? Fight it or try to make nice? In Taiwan, voters decide on two very different approaches to China. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm in Taipei at the moment and the mood is very, very kind of excited and energetic. The election is on Saturday and it's the presidential election and parliamentary elections. Amy Hawkins is The Guardian's senior China correspondent. And though she covers an area of more than a billion people, she rarely gets to cover a real election. A few days ago, I went to a Democratic Progressive Party rally in Geelong, which is a city kind of just on the edge of Taipei. And, you know, there are thousands of people there, all in the party's green colours, mainly elderly voters, but still really excitable. And there were, you know, there's lots of chanting, lots of singing, a very, very kind of enthusiastic atmosphere. There's a lot of talk at the Democratic Progressive Party rally about, you know, this is a choice between democracy versus autocracy. And they kind of present themselves as a party that will preserve Taiwan's democracy. They released this very popular campaign video which shows Tsai Ing-wen, the current president, kind of driving down the road with Lai Ching-de, her vice president, who's now running for the top job, and then she hands over the keys to him, and he's going to continue taking Taiwan down this road to democracy. It's an election about the cost of living, healthcare, the usual stuff. But above all that, a much bigger threat, the very fate of Taiwan's democracy itself. So um, at the Democratic Progressive Party rally, um, I spoke to a young woman called Bing Bing. She felt that a lot of her friends of a similar age, kind of millennials, were drifting too far away from the Democratic Progressive Party and kind of forgetting about the need to defend Taiwan's democracy and defend Taiwan's sovereignty against China. And she was saying that, you know, China is a bully and if, China, if someone keeps bullying you, you should make yourself stronger. On the ballot are two very different approaches to China. On the one hand, face up to it. Take it on. On the other, try to build ties, lower the temperature, and in that way, buy time. And it's a choice in which we're all invested, because a huge chunk of global trade and whether two superpowers go to war depends on whether Taiwanese voters get this right. 
comes at a time when there have been rising tensions between China and Taiwan, increased military drills from China and Xi Jinping. Chinese president has said repeatedly that he considers it a priority to unify China and Taiwan. In his New Year's speech a few weeks ago, he said that it was a historical inevitability that China and Taiwan would be united. So this election comes at quite a high stakes moment. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in focus, the Chinese shadow looming over Taiwan's election. Amy, to get our heads around this election, we need to understand, firstly, how Taiwan came to be, and then why it has such a delicate relationship with China. So break that down for me. Where does it all begin? The uneasy relationship between Taiwan and China goes back several decades. It started in 1949 with the end of the Chinese Civil War in China. The communists defeated the nationalists, and the nationalists, who are now the Kuomintang, fled to Taiwan and established what they call the Republic of China, based in Taipei, and that is still Taiwan's official name. The Communist Party, you know, went on to create the People's Republic of China, which is based in Beijing. And since then, those two ideas have been kind of existed in an uneasy, so far non-violent conflict, apart from a few violent incidents in the 70s. The Communist Party has always vowed to reunify, in their words, China with Taiwan, even though they've actually never ruled over Taiwan and have never ruled over that territory, they kind of claim it's a breakaway province that needs to be reunited. And they've never ruled out the use of force to achieve that aim. Um, But Xi Jinping, the current Chinese leader, seems to consider this more of a priority than his predecessors. The reunification of China is a historical inevitability, and compatriots on both sides of the Taiwan Strait should join hands and share the great glory of national rejuvenation. Our goal is grand and simple. He said it can't keep being passed down from generation to generation. All this has led people to feel like relations are more tense than they've ever been, plus the fact that the ruling party in Taiwan now, who's been ruling for the past eight years, has a very difficult relationship with China. I mean, that's really fascinating that 75 years later, it's almost like the echo of this unfinished Chinese civil war. From spending time in both of these places, China and Taiwan, Amy, what can you tell us about how similar or different they are? I mean, obviously, there are lots of cultural similarities. Um, They share a language and there are similarities to the food and the kind of religious and spiritual life. But Culturally, it also feels very different when you're walking around Taiwan in some way that feels more like you're walking around a Japanese city than a Chinese city. The people's mannerisms are very different. Taiwanese people are very proud to be a democracy and it's the only place in Asia to have legalised gay marriage. And people there seem to really care about the idea of standing up to the bully next door and people are very outspoken and you know people have those opinions in China but can't say them as openly and the whole kind of cultural atmosphere feel very different. And you said that relations between China and Taiwan are as strained as they've been for decades. Tell me how we've gotten to this point. When Tsai Ing-wen, the current president, was elected in 2016, at that time there were some fears in the US and internationally that she was going to be too provocative to China and um, her party, the Democratic Progressive Party, has historically been the more radical, pro-independent party. In fact, she's actually proven to be quite a moderate president and has towed this very careful line between kind of asserting Taiwanese sovereignty but not trying to provoke China too much. 
given our differences, uh, differences in terms of our political systems, um, we can sit down and talk about our differences and try to make arrangement um, so that we will be able to coexist peacefully. She hasn't formally made any kind of declaration of independence with her line being Taiwan is already effectively independent so they don't need a formal declaration. I think it's kind of widely accepted that any declaration of that nature would hugely provoke Beijing. No one wants to kind of push it into a corner and into the point where it feels like it has to prove something to the world that Taiwan isn't independent. It's such a strange position where Taiwanese leaders believe they're independent, but they can't say that too loudly because then China would need to show that they disagree, maybe by force. And if that very careful balance is disturbed, things can get a bit scary as they did a couple of years ago when Nancy Pelosi, the former US speaker, visited Taiwan. Tell me about what happened then. Today, our delegation, of which I'm very proud, came to Taiwan to make unequivocally clear we will not abandon our commitment to Taiwan, and we are proud of our enduring friendship. When Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan in 2022, that massively ramped up tensions, and China did like missile drills inside Taiwanese airspace, has kind of continued to do so against Taiwan, which has certainly increased fear. I had some of the rallies, people talking about, you know, feeling increasingly uneasy about the military threat from China. In fact, just this week, there was a an emergency alert went out on phones across Taiwan about a, a missile being sent over from China or a satellite. It turned out to be a false alarm and the Ministry of Defence apologised for causing some momentary panic to everyone. But it kind of just shows how jumpy everyone is. And so as those tensions between the two have grown, I mean, how has that manifested in Taiwan? How are they preparing for what they fear might be coming? There has been this growth in recent months and years of civil defence training and some people trying to prepare for the event of invasion. You get these people who are kind of stockpiling goods in case. But um, I mean, the truth is for a lot of Taiwanese people, they've lived with the threat of a Chinese invasion for many decades. And it's only kind of during election season that these threats kind of come to the surface because all the parties are talking about it a lot more. Yeah, it just seems like such a delicate situation. How do most Taiwanese people view China? Like, do they see it as an enemy? Do they see it as someone to build ties with? Do they think of themselves as Taiwanese or Chinese? Without a doubt, an increasing number of people see themselves as being just Taiwanese and not Chinese. I think it's now more than 60% of people say that, that they identify as being Taiwanese and you know that number grows with the younger generations. And that is also a problem for China because they've long played on this idea that Taiwanese and Chinese people are they come from the same culture, they're all from the Chinese motherland, and that has helped their narrative of the need for unification. I mean, let's talk about the party that's been in power for the past eight years, the Democratic Progressive Party. Who's leading them into this election? So their presidential candidate is Lai Qingde, who is the current vice president. So he's very much the kind of continuity ticket. He's a bit more softly spoken than Tsai, who is already quite softly spoken, and maybe not as charismatic, but has nominated a very kind of charismatic vice president called Shelby Kim, who until recently was the Taiwanese envoy to the US and is seen as being very, having really good relationships in Washington, lots of international links. 
And so then how are they talking about the way that they'll approach China, given that they're broadly speaking the kind of anti-China party in this election? They absolutely say they're going to maintain the status quo. So Lighting during the past has been considered a slightly more radical figure. He's previously described himself as a pragmatic worker for Taiwanese independence. But he's since, since kind of distanced himself from those comments and says he would follow the path set out by saying when the outgoing president, Taiwan doesn't need to formally declare independence because it already is. And he's trying to toe a slightly more moderate line. We must we must abide by the truth, which is what I mean by pragmatism. It is that Taiwan is already a sovereign, independent country called the Republic of China. It's not part of the People's Republic of China. It is not necessary to declare independence. And as the Democratic Progressive Party has been moving Taiwan away from China, who have they been moving it towards? I mean, a big one is the US. Taiwan and US relations have gotten a lot stronger in recent years, particularly since Biden was elected as US president. Biden himself has said a lot more kind of pro-Taiwan comments than his predecessors. What should Chinese President Xi know about your commitment to Taiwan? We agree with what we signed on to a long time ago. And that there's a one-China policy, and Taiwan makes their own judgments about their independence. But would U.S. forces defend the island? Yes, if in fact there was an unprecedented attack. He has said a number of times that the U.S. would defend Taiwan militarily if China did invade, which is something that the U.S. hasn't previously said. Interesting. So the U.S. position is a kind of vague gesture of support. They say they would help Taiwan if it were invaded, but it sounds like they don't say exactly how they'd help. Yeah, they call this policy strategic ambiguity, with the idea being that if they're vague enough, it will deter a Chinese invasion, but also kind of stop Taiwan from going too far towards declaring independence to provoke anything. And if neither side knows how much support the US will provide, it, the hope is that it encourages the maintenance of the status quo. Okay, so that's the Democratic Progressive Party. The main opposition party in this election is the Kuomintang Party, who, interestingly, you said were like the losing side of China's civil war more than 70 years ago. Who is their leader and what is their party known for? Um, so their presidential candidate is a man called Hou Youyi, who is a popular former mayor. He was a police chief. And you can really see a kind of pivot in strategy for the Kuomintang in this election because Ironically, they've traditionally been seen as the party of the elites because they came over in 1949 and established the Republic of China. But now they're arguing that the Democratic Progressive Party has been in power so long that they are the elite party and the Kuomintang is the party of the people. And in picking Hou Youyi as their candidate, they're kind of leaning into this. Like, you know, he has a more working class background. He's, he's very kind of charismatic and avuncular. And he's seen as being someone who can reach out to the normal people. I went to a Gomendang rally in the southern city of Jiayi, which is a kind of more rural farming area. And that was even bigger than the Democratic Progressive Party rally. And they talk about how 
they think the current party is corrupt and how the new party, the Kuomintang, is going to wipe the slate clean almost and um, reset Taiwan's relationship with China and offer a lot more to working people. They had this kind of interpretive dance performance about the corruption of the Democratic Progressive Party. Interesting. They had the um, teachers of the presidential candidate, Ho Yi, coming on and saying what a great student he was. Um, they're really kind of throwing everything at the wall at the stage. And tell me about the way they're approaching China, because based on the history, I would think they'd be pretty anti-China, given that they lost the civil war to the Communist Party. But, but you're saying that's not the case at all. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the other ironies about the Kuomintang, is that they're kind of origin story is about being in conflict with the Chinese Communist Party. But now they are the party in Taiwan that advocates closer ties and um, historically have talked about the motherland and the older generation of Kuomintang people talked about unifying China and Taiwan, but under the banner of the Republic of China. But the newer generation like Ho Yi and so on, they just advocate closer economic ties, they say with more dialogue a close relationship that will maintain peace and stability and bring prosperity to Taiwan. At the Kuomintang rally, I spoke to a woman called Jan Shumei, and you know she was actually very critical of the Democratic Progressive Party's approach. She accused them of advocating for Taiwanese independence and saying that that provoked China and the reason that there have been so many kind of missile drills and airplanes flying over and making everyone scared was because the Democratic Progressive Party has been provoking China. And that's why it was necessary to support the Kuomintang, who would help stabilise relations. And so there's the Democratic Progressive Party, the Kuomintang, but there's also a third party, which is threatening to cause a bit of an upset. Tell me about them. Yeah, so that is what's making this race so interesting, is that um, you know Taiwanese elections have traditionally always been a two-horse race. But this year, they're the third candidate from a newly formed party called the Taiwan People's Party. And their candidate, who is the founder of the party, Ko Wen-je, is polling very closely behind Ho Yi, the Kuomintang candidate, and so is making the race very, very close. Former Taipei Mayor Ke Wenzhe's hip-hop video illustrates just how his somewhat quirky candidacy is mixing up the race for the Taiwan presidency. At 64 years of age, this former trauma surgeon turned third-party politician is taking on what's been an entrenched political duopoly of the incumbent... Ke Wenzhe has had a huge surge in support, particularly from younger voters, people who are kind of bored of the two mainstream parties and that is threatening to kind of upset the race particularly in the legislative elections because it could be that the Taiwan People's Party ends up holding the balance of power. And so on this spectrum of how they approach China we've got broadly the pro-China party the Kuomintang then the anti-China party the Democratic Progressive Party. Where does the Taiwan People's Party fit into that? Yeah they're interesting they don't really have a clear China policy. And the founder, Coenger, um, used to be a doctor. His running mate is Cynthia Wu. She used to be a businesswoman. And his policy on China is kind of slippery. He previously was kind of affiliated with the Democratic Progressive Party and had supported a protest movement in 2014, which was protesting against the trade agreement with China. But then when Ko Wenzhe became mayor of Taipei in 2014, he actually pursued a kind of twin city agreement between Taipei and Shanghai. So then kind of pivoted closer towards the Kuomintang position of economic ties. 
So he recently um, compared cross-strait relations, um, which is relationship between Taiwan and China, to prostate cancer. Hmm. And it was this kind of strange metaphor for the need to coexist with your enemies. And he said, with, when you have prostate cancer, sometimes if you cut out the tumor, you end up dying quicker than if you don't cut out the tumor. I see. And the Taiwan Urologist Association kind of very quickly condemned these comments and um, <laughs> encouraged people to go and get checked and not to coexist with prostate cancer. Okay. But yeah, he's kind of known for making these slightly outlandish statements. If you are a voter going to the polls on Saturday, are you deciding who to vote for on the basis of your party's stance on China? Or are there other issues that might decide whether you go Democratic Progressive Party, Taiwan People's Party or the Kuomintang? Lots of people say the economy is the most important issue. And although inflation in Taiwan hasn't been as bad as in other places, it was kind of just under 3% at the end of last year. People, particularly young people, feel like, you know, their wages are stagnating, housing is becoming increasingly unaffordable, education is too expensive. And so certainly some people will be voting on these issues. I think for the kind of educated professional class who maybe feel a bit more economically secure, then those ideological questions do come into play. But I did speak to people, particularly at the Democratic Progressive Party rally, who said all these economic, social issues mean nothing if you don't have sovereignty as a baseline. So um, some people will take the attitude that Taiwan sovereignty needs to be defended first and foremost, and everything else can follow from that. That sovereignty is looking increasingly precarious with the rise of Xi Jinping and his much more hardline policy towards Taiwan. Why do you think he's made taking over Taiwan such a priority? He is now set up to be a president for life. He removed term limits in 2018 um, and has recently started his third term as General Secretary of the Communist Party and as Chinese president. So with the kind of expectation that he's going to rule for the rest of his life, lots of people think he has an eye on his legacy and achieving that goal, that long desired political goal of uniting Taiwan with China would be a kind of show of Chinese strength and proof to the world that the Chinese Communist Party's view of the world is the only one that matters. We will continue to make utmost efforts for peaceful reunification, but never promise to renounce the use of force, and we reserve the option to taking all measures necessary. Complete reunification must be realised, and it can be without a doubt be realised. Well, it sounds like if that unification comes, it's unlikely to happen in a peaceful way, especially given the fact that so many Taiwanese people see themselves as Taiwanese and not Chinese. How realistic do you think the threat of a military invasion by China is? Yeah, it's definitely a very realistic threat. The question is when that might be attempted. US intelligence believes that Xi Jinping has told the army to be ready for an invasion by 2027. That Mm. doesn't mean he'll be launching an invasion in that year. And there's also loads of other estimates that get thrown around. So no one really knows, but increasingly the feeling seems to be that some kind of, whether it's an attempted annexation or a kind of salami slicing approach where they first try and take the small Taiwanese islands that are very close to the Chinese border first and kind of gradually chip away on Taiwanese territory remains to be seen, or there are other ways in which China could increase its influence in Taiwan. 
but increasingly the feeling is that it is coming sooner rather than later. And that invasion of Taiwan wouldn't just be a problem for Taiwan, would it? What would the consequences be for the rest of the world? Yeah, the consequences um, would be huge. Um, One of the examples that's often cited is Taiwan makes more than 90% of the world's semiconductors, which are the little microchips, which are in the vast majority of electronic products that we all use every day. Um, You know, the global economy would suffer hugely if the semiconductor supply chain was compromised. And you said over 90% of those semiconductors that are in our our phones, our laptops, nearly all our electronics, 90% of those are made in Taiwan. Yeah. So that is a big problem if that supply chain becomes compromised. Yeah. And there's also American kind of security interests in the region, in the South China Sea, um, which, you know, even if the US didn't defend Taiwan militarily, it has security agreements with lots of countries in Southeast Asia, such as the Philippines, and, you know, the conflict could easily spill over into those areas. Beijing must be watching this election campaign and tomorrow's polling really closely. Has their presence been felt at all so far? Yeah, so there have been um, a lot of accusations of election interference and the government says a lot of these come from China. It's like kind of fake news accounts on social media, deep fake videos of the presidential candidate saying things that he hasn't said. A video emerged last year of Lai Qingde saying that the majority of people supported the Kuomintang. This was later proven to be a deep fake, but obviously deep fakes are getting more and more sophisticated. So it was quite a worrying moment. There have been um, lots of conspiracy theories which seem to have originated from Chinese accounts, such as the idea that Taiwan is building bio labs in order to engage in biological warfare. These kind of narratives which hype up the threat of war and say that you know, the DPP is doing all these things to provoke a conflict with China. There are accusations that Taiwanese business people and politicians have gone on trips to China and then are then sent back to kind of promote Beijing's message. Straight out bribery accusations. And yeah, there's a lot of accusations of foul play, many of them um, coming from China. Coming up, why the most important election for Taiwan's security might be happening later this year, thousands of miles away. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. 
If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Amy, 2024 is being billed as this massive global year of elections, and we expect that the results of them are going to be feeding into each other. How important is this Taiwanese one? Very important for all the geopolitical reasons that we've discussed. I think probably the more consequential election for Taiwan security will be the American election in November, because if Biden loses the White House and, say, for example, Trump wins it, that would massively change the calculation because... Most people think that he would be less likely to send a lot of support for Taiwan in the event of a conflict. Should the U.S. help defend Taiwan if it means going to war with China? Well, I don't want to say it because if I'm in the position of president, I don't want to say what I'm thinking. He's obviously also a bit more of an unpredictable character, so who knows. But the winner in tomorrow's election will kind of set the tone for peace and stability in certainly the East Asian region and beyond for the coming months. That's interesting, though, that the more important election for Taiwanese security won't be happening in Taiwan at all. Yeah, yeah, because, um, you know, Taiwan has lots of resources to defend itself, but not enough to defend itself against a full-scale assault from China and would be really dependent on support from America, but also other democracies like countries in Europe and also Japan and Korea. But they will all be looking to America to see what America does first. And if the winner tomorrow is the Democratic Progressive Party, the broadly anti-China party, how do we think Beijing will react to that? Beijing will not be very happy. I think we can expect to see some military drills fairly soon afterwards in the event of a Democratic Progressive Party victory. Probably economic sanctions very quickly. There's already a kind of brewing trade dispute over a trade agreement from a few years ago. And definitely some very sharp-tongued comments, to say the least. It sounds like all this election campaigning is is so vibrant and lively, but it's happening in this context where everybody knows, perhaps by 2027 or a few years after, Taiwanese democracy could just be snuffed out by China. What's it like to cover a campaign where everybody knows they're the stakes, that this might be potentially one of the last times people even get to vote for their leaders in Taiwan? Yeah, I mean, it definitely it feels like a very high-stakes election. I think China is a big topic in the election race. Most people don't think that China will kind of invade imminently, even if that is what the US experts and so on predict. But it's more how do they deal every day with this increasing military threat and how do they keep their life as peaceful and stable as possible. And I think for the most part, Taiwanese people just want to be left alone by China, um, probably left alone by all this pressure from outsiders who are telling them that their vote has these huge global ramifications when they just want to vote for the president they like the most. Amy, thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
That was Amy Hawkins, The Guardian's senior China correspondent, whose work with China researcher Chi Hui Lin can be found at theguardian.com. You'll also find their reporting and analysis from Saturday's election. We're also just a few days from another poll, that's the Iowa caucus, which is the first of the contests to decide who'll be representing the Republican Party in the upcoming presidential elections. In this week's Politics Weekly America, Jonathan Friedland speaks to former advisor to Al Gore, Elaine Kamark, about which of the remaining Republican candidates stands to benefit from Wednesday's news that former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie was dropping out of the race. He was the only candidate happy to attack Donald Trump, so who do his voters turn to now? And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Natalie Ktena and Tom Glasser. Sound design was by Solomon King. The executive producer was Elizabeth Casson. And we're back with you on Monday. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Some places take you away. Some bring you together. Marathon does both. Marathon is Florida's family key with something for everyone. You'll find museums and wildlife refuges, wide open beaches, miles of warm, clear water, and the historic Seven Mile Bridge. For more about Marathon and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash marathon. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. 